Thank you, Liz. Yeah, and I just want to say, Liz, what a blessing you are to us on this church. It doesn't matter if you're not even singing, I really um, love when you lead, because you're worshipping yourself, and then we get to ride it. <laughs> so thank you. Right, I haven't worn one of these before, so we're going to see how this goes. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, I just wanted to share with you today just some thoughts I've been having recently. Uh, it ties into some of the stuff I've been reading and talks I've been listening to. So I thought I'd just share some of that today. Um, so recently I've been reading the book of Matthew. Um, what I do is I read a chapter or two a night of the Bible. So it takes me ages to get through it. So I haven't read the Gospels in absolutely ages. And it was actually been quite nice to get back to the book of Matthew and read it through quite quickly, kind of all together. Um, and just, I feel like I've seen it with quite fresh eyes. Um, and it was interesting, I was talking about uh, it the other day, I was talking about the Gospels with my family, and we were talking about which one is our favourite Gospel. And mine is probably Luke. I really love the book of Luke. He's quite a storyteller, so it's the one where it tells us about Mary, you know, it's the Magnificat, that prayer of Mary, when she learns that she's pregnant. And it's also got the story of John the Baptist's parents, uh, Zechariah, his dad, and his prayer, and they're really beautiful. And I think Luke really... Um, he kind of colours in the characters. You kind of get a sense of them. And I really like the way he writes, and I think it probably has something to do with the fact that I studied English literature. I like a storyteller. Uh, but when I was talking about this with my family the other day, and my little sister Miriam was saying how Matthew is her favourite. And I thought, actually, do you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Because Miriam, she's kind of... She's very much working on the front lines for God. She lives in and works in a deprived area in Wales, and she sees and has to deal with a lot. So her faith is really no nonsense. There's no frills on that. And I, that really makes sense, therefore, for me, that she likes the book of Matthew. Because when you read the book of Matthew, it is very no nonsense. It is very challenging and hard hitting. So the book of Matthew, um, they think it was probably written by Matthew the disciple, who was the tax collector, also known as Levi. Although some people disagree, but that's the general thought. Um, and the thing about the book of Matthew is it is the, one of the four Gospels, it is the one that has the most like, teaching of Jesus. There's massive passages of just Jesus teaching. So it's a lot of the voice of Jesus. And what we learn from reading so much of what Jesus has to say, is that Jesus is really challenging. There are just so many challenging passages in the book of Matthew. I'll just name a few of them. There's, in chapter 6, we find the passage where Jesus talks about not storing up for ourselves treasures on earth, but only treasures in heaven. And if you read that with fresh eyes, like I just did, that it is so challenging. It is so countercultural. There's also the part, there's like some really mind boggling parts in the book of Matthew as well. There's, um, I was reading in chapter 17, it's the, it talks about the transfiguration. Now, the transfiguration is when Jesus is on the hill and he basically starts to shine and it kind of reveals who he is. Moses and Elijah um, appear with him and God's voice says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. 
So it has that, obviously pointing out who Jesus is and his authority, and that he is God's chosen one. But in that very same chapter, just after I was reading this other um, thing that happens where Peter is challenged, you know, does your, does your master uh, pay the temple tax? That's what somebody says to him, and he says, oh, yes. And Jesus says, he says to Peter, you know, I'm, I'm the son. I am a free citizen. I shouldn't have to pay the temple tax. But so as not to offend anyone, go, and go down, fish, go and find a fish in the water, and you will open it, and there will be a coin in there, and that will be enough money to pay the temple tax for you and me. Very weird story. I think it's Jesus just showing how transcendent he is above everything. But what I really like about this this passage is that it just shows that Jesus knows who he is. He's the son of God. But he doesn't insist on his own rights and his own freedoms. Though he really clearly could. And I think it's such a lesson in that verse in Corinthians where it says, you know, love is this, love is that. Love does not insist on its own way, it says. And that is so Jesus. And I love, I love just this, the book of Matthew because it's got bits like this where it shows who Jesus is and then it shows that he doesn't offend people. He doesn't insist on his own way. And in Western society, unfortunately, so much of society is about our individual rights and freedoms. And the more I read of what Jesus says, the more I think that's got nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And it's really not the way that Jesus showed us. There's, there's more, there's more challenging verses. There's chapter 19. It's the part where everyone kind of knows this is the part about the cam- It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And some people have explained this as there's a word that's similar to, like the eye of the needle is similar to the small gate, but actually they don't think that's what he meant. They think he meant it is hard. It is that hard to get into the kingdom of heaven when you're rich. It does follow on that Jesus does say that um, things that are impossible for man are not impossible for him. But he did want to say that there were massive obstacles with being rich. Um, there's chapter 20 where it's the parable of the vineyard workers. And this is the part, uh, we'll all know this, it's really funny reading this, you, you know them all, but when you read yourself them and you imagine yourself in that story, you think, which one would you have been? And in the parable of the, the vineyard workers, you have um, the, the vineyard owner, he employs different people to work for him during the day. And some people work from the very morning, they work all day. Some of them are, you know, they start working from lunch, later on, some just before the end of the day. And yet he pays them all exactly the same wage. And the people who've been working all day, they moan about this. And he says, should you be jealous because I am kind to others? And I think this really speaks to everyone, really, where, you know, everyone at some point complains about fairness. From, from being a little child, it's not fair. We, we compare our lot to others. But Jesus challenges the very idea of fairness. In the chapter 22, where's the parable of the great feast? And this is the one where... Put, uh, this great feast has been put on and people are asked to come. They're invited to come. 
And they all say they're too busy. They're too busy. So a whole different set of people are invited instead. And of course this was talking about the, um, the Israelites and then the Gentiles on some levels, but these parables work on so many levels. And just reading it, how normal the things are that people, the excuses that people gave, they had to see to business. They had to go to their farm. And it just made me think about those practicalities that we can get distracted by, that can stop us following, you know, go, um, following the really most important stuff. Um, just a few more. Then there's uh, Matthew 23. And it's, this part is, it, is quite hard to read. As, as I imagine it would have been very hard to listen to if you were a Pharisee or a religious leader. But it's the part where Jesus says, Woe to you, ta- um, Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers. Um, and he, just, he's, he is rebuking them for being hypocritical. He just keeps going on about how hypocritical, how good they look on the outside but how it doesn't match what they are like on the inside. And, you know, that is challenging to everyone because who doesn't put on a good exterior? I mean, this world is obsessed with the exteriors, the exterior of you. Whereas, you know, God, he only cares about what's inside. And then the last one I just wanted to mention was Matthew 25. It's the final judgment. It's the one where Jesus uh, says that at the end, um, God will say that those who have done really simple, practical acts of kindness towards the least of these, they are the ones that will enter the kingdom of heaven because it will be as if they did those things for him. And those who didn't do those things for the least of them, they won't get into the kingdom of heaven because... They didn't do those things for Jesus. And uh, I, I remember Judith, if you went to Judith's funeral, Judith asked for this reading in her funeral, which I thought was pretty brave. Um, but it is really challenging when you read it because it actually doesn't mention in this, it doesn't mention grace. It doesn't mention that kind of last-minute free pass we think we'll get of faith. Oh, but I had faith. It doesn't mention that at all. And I'm not saying that that's not the case, but Jesus wanted us to hear this. Um, But interestingly, again, it's one of those mind-bending things where he says this, and then in the very next chapter is the part where the woman anoints Jesus with oil, with really expensive oil. And the disciples are shocked and disgusted, and they say, why would you waste that? We could have used that to look after the poor. But Jesus rebukes them and says, no, what she did was right. It was right for her to bless me so extravagantly. And everyone will always remember this story when they read the gospel. So again, he gives us one, um, one view of the kingdom, but then he also brings in other things. It's, it's challenging. And it's not on some levels, it's not easy to understand. It's not a textbook. The Bible is not a textbook. So what am I getting at here? There's loads. I could, I could have read you the whole book of Matthew, probably. Um, what am I getting at? I think what I'm just thinking about a lot as I've been reading Matthew is just how challenging the Gospels are when we read them without our familiar lens. You know, if you've been to Sunday school, if you've heard the stories your whole life, then we kind of like, da, 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 yes, that means that. 
There's a nice little neat explanation for it there. Ta-da! Whereas actually when you read them and you imagine sitting there listening to Jesus saying these things, and you imagine yourself as the people in these parables, then they are incredibly challenging. And a few questions came to mind as I was thinking about these things. And one of them was, when was the last time we were really shocked by the Bible? Because it is shocking. Jesus' teachings are so countercultural. They are such stark contrast, in such stark contrast to this, the world's ways. And um, there's a quote by a guy called Mark Twain. He said, "It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand." Now I don't know where exactly he was coming from, but that really challenged me to think of actually. Yeah, there's bits in the Bible that are really challenging. I know what Jesus meant. I don't really want to know what Jesus meant, but I do know. And the challenge isn't to dumb the Bible down to our level. It's to allow God to change us up to his level. Another question that came to mind as I was thinking about this was, when was the last time God changed your mind about something? I often say it, but we are none of us Jesus yet, which means that we've all got a way to go. Um, and that we have to just let him keep challenging us and, and changing us because there is all that way to go, but it, there's a, it's a joy. It's a joy to become more like him. But also there is no neutral ground. You know, when you read the Bible, especially the Gospels, you just can't miss the fact that the ways of God are so different from the ways of this world. You know, the outlook is different, the values are different, the motivations are completely different. Uh, and I, it made me think about the verse in Romans, chapter 12, I think it's two verses actually, verse 1 and 2, where it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And um, I read in a commentary about this verse that actually in the Greek it's even more obvious how different those two things are, that to be conformed um, is to this world is it's like putting on a disguise the word is to do with having an outward disguise it's, it's putting on an act whereas that transformed by the renewal of your mind that is a deep deep ch and complete change and you know I'm, I'm not <laughs> I'm not speaking as someone who's got this sorted at all I know that I can end up going along with the, the show of this world sometimes in some areas um, but when I you know like that song says nothing compares with this nothing compares with God and his ways and when I see those that show next to him it just is so shallow and you know rather than try to keep up appearances then offering ourselves as living sacrifices to God be changed and to live out of his spirit that is so the better option um, and 
there was just there was one thing that really came clear to me over this last week, and it just popped up in the readings I was doing, like preachers I listened to, devotionals. It just came up over and over again, and it was uh, an example of the world's view versus the kingdom truth. And what it was was the idea of what it is to be blessed. Now, when I was in Romania, I worked. Um, there was a guy called Lee. He was our pastor and our boss. And he used to be a very rich and successful lawyer. But then he became a Christian. And then God told him to go and work with street kids in Romania. And he did. And he used to talk about how he'd hear Christians, like, see a Christian and they've got a massive house. And everything looks like it's going well for them. And he said, and, and, and we say things like, oh, God's really blessed them. And he said, actually, no, I, I don't think so. Actually, that's a curse because they've got so many obstacles in their lives and so many distractions. In fact, if all we need is God, then what is all that other stuff for? <laughs> I still haven't fully taken that on board, but that really challenged me because he'd seen it. He'd seen it both sides. And, you know, there's the fact, in, in the book of Matthew as well, that's where we have the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, where it says, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. But all the people who are blessed in that passage, none of them will be called blessed by the world. They're not blessed by this world's standards. But Jesus said that they are truly blessed. That in heavenly terms and in everlasting terms, they are the ones who are truly blessed. And yeah, like I said, it came up in just a few of the things I was reading and listening to this week um, about this idea of blessing. And it kind of helped me to redefine what I think blessing is. So in a devotional I listened to, it said this, it was talking about um, when God said to Abraham that I will bless you and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he says, um, it says in this devotional, <coughs> Blessing can be understood as giving power to something or somebody to be and do that which they are designed to be and do. I will bless you, says the Lord Abraham, to be and do all that I have made you to be and do. And through you, others will become all that they are made to be too. So to be blessed is to be and do all the things that we are designed to be and do. I really like the sound of that. And then I listened, I was listening to an online sermon, and he was talking about the very same verse as well. And um, it was interesting the way that the preacher talked about that verse. He, uh, when he said about how God said to Abraham, I will bless you, the preacher said um, that, you know, we can be blessed through jobs. We can be blessed through other people, but we have to recognize the source of our blessing, and it is God. God can bless us any way he chooses. But he then went on to say that when God said to Abraham, <coughs> you will be a blessing, he said, blessing is not something that we get. It is something that we are. And that is why blessing is something that we do. Because it's who we are. And um, that's how we can pass on that blessing. That's how we can bless our enemies and not curse them. 
because we are the blessing. So we are blessed to be all that we are designed to be. <coughs> so that we can be a blessing and we can release others into what they were designed to be too. I really liked that. I just felt like it was on a deeper level. Um, the currency of heaven is not like the currency of this earth. You know, worldly blessings, they can be hoarded. And they can become idols, they can become obstacles, they can become distractions. Whereas kingdom blessings, they flow freely. You know, they flow, God gives us blessings. We can share those blessings between us. We can even send those blessings back up to God. And I know what blessings I want, what blessings I am more interested in. I know which values and outlook and motivations I want my life to be led by. And I just felt that I wanted to, for myself, but maybe invite you as well, to commit ourselves again to him and to his far superior ways and plans. So I will just pray. Lord, we just, we love you, and we love your ways. They're so much better. Lord, when we let you take the lead, everything is just so much better, not only for ourselves, but for others, for you. You had such a beautiful plan for this whole world and for everybody in it, and we've messed it up by going our own way, but everything is redeemable. And Lord, I just thank you that you keep on calling us back to yourself, that you never give up on us. And we just pray, I just pray that we would be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that we would see things through your eyes, and that we would be able to be the blessing and pass on that blessing to others, that we would be what we were designed to be and do what we were designed to do and that we would then be a part of your plans for restoring this world. Uh, that the world would be a, such a blessing to you again. Lord. Thank you for how you see us. You see us through uh, the lens of, of what Jesus has done for us. Thank you that your ways are so much better than our ways. And your wisdom so much greater than ours. Amen. Um.